I'm David McGee, and this is the Mayo Lab Podcast. So I have a confession to make, Uh, and the confession is that when I first began talking to students in schools or student organizations like fraternities, when I would be invited in to talk to them about substance misuse and what I faced and what our family faced, I often avoided discussing marijuana, and here's why, because the the debate as we move toward many states and the federal government potentially one day you know decriminalizing as they've done marijuana and you know making it uh, not a federal offense and as many states look at making it legal in that movement i felt a little pressure that if i said something that might sound negative marijuana that people might hate on me so to speak And I've seen some of that, frankly, in social media, where they say, you know, it's no different than alcohol. And and I do not disagree, but I think there's a lot of education points about alcohol uh, that we can and should have, just like trans fats and so many other things that are healthy or not healthy if used in excess. So finally, one day, I realized that I needed to stand up and speak the truth. And here's where that truth came from. Um, We long have had the National Center for Natural Product Research at the University of Mississippi. And Dr. Megan Rosenthal, you made a connection for me because you work with many colleagues over there. And you said, hey, they may have some things to share with you. I reach out to them and what they share because they've long been one of the, 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 the only sites in the country sanctioned by the federal government to grow and study cannabis and THC, the ingredient that makes you high. And what they report is that since 1995, the potency of street marijuana in America has gone up drastically, nearly 400%. And when I heard that, it it really helped me to start connecting dots of rising addiction, marijuana use disorder among young people, other issues faced. And I decided enough is enough. I got to get over myself. I can have a conversation about this logically without being against legal marijuana, without in... You know, I don't know what I always says. I don't know where I'm for, whether I'm for it or against it. Uh, the research will bear that out. Ultimately, whatever is healthiest for American families and individuals, if legal is it, I'm all for it. You know, but right now we still don't know that. I don't think what we do know is that street marijuana potency has increased dramatically. That's right. And I think, you know, you always talk about this, David, and kind of the name of this is not your mother or your father's marijuana, right? And so I think about even when I was in high school, um, the potency had obviously increased because I was in high school after 96, but it wasn't even at that point kind of the what it is today, right? And you think about, and, and you didn't hear, you know, in, until the last five years, marijuana, the idea of marijuana use disorder, the, the running kind of convention at that point point was well marijuana is not addictive mm-hmm. and it's natural it's mm-hmm. totally fine there's mm-hmm. no negative consequences for that um but we're seeing that change dramatically and and the the number of issues that young people and, and people in general are having as a consequence of that and we've seen some of that you know and again i'm not for or against it but you yeah. look to places that have have legalized it across the country and around the world um you are seeing the fallout from 
maybe not having those careful conversations and not engaging in that education and not really at this point, because it's relatively new, understanding all of the ins and outs of the impact that that has on our bodies. Um, and so we're in the midst of a like real life experiment as we speak. We, we are Alexis Lee in the midst of a real life experiment where, again, it, 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 it's one of these issues that we talk about on this podcast so much. There's decent information there. There, there is good information, for example, that says high and repeated use of marijuana, chronic marijuana use to a young mind is very dangerous and damaging. And it's, there, there's not even any gray area in there. But somehow in this country that was built on the back of education, we haven't done a very good job of getting that information to students that, that so they can make their own decisions. And I think that's what we have to do to figure out going forward is figure out how, how do we have that conversation with them, A, without turning them off, mm-hmm. B, without really being able with really being able to open their minds so they understand what's happening. It, true, exactly what you just said. And I'm a perfect, um, I guess, lab rat in that way of I, and I've said this on the podcast before, I had no idea about really about marijuana till I started this job in this field and have learned so much over the past couple months and I don't blame anyone for that. It's kind of like it was like this forbidden fruit before. No one wanted to talk about it, kind of hidden. Um, and But there's so much that we need to talk about to educate students. And we aren't going to tell them not to do it, just like we're not going to tell them not to do alcohol or drugs. But we need to give them the tools to make the decision themselves to equip them to understand what's happening um, and what is a, what's in it. It's not, you know, it's natural, but what does that mean? How does that work in your body to understand so that when they take it, they're not completely or try it, they're not completely just, you know, down a rabbit hole. So what's interesting is there, there's so much we don't understand. And we saw an increase in the drinking age many years ago in this country. And we've seen a correlation, whether that's related or not, I don't know. But what I'm saying is we've seen a correlation at the same time of um, a rise in the use of marijuana of young people that has gone up pretty substantially. And in that rise has been um, an extension of how they use it. Typically, it used to just be smoked. Now it's often vaped. Now it's used in many ways that inst- that it that that not only is the THC potency so much uh, stronger, but it's used in ways that take more maximum potency from that uh, THC. And therefore, a youth today that is chronically using street marijuana is likely getting, you know, four, five, maybe six times or more, I'm told, of the potency and concentration of THC in their body on a daily basis than, say, the same teen would have gotten 20 years ago. Now, that's a drastic difference. That is a drastic difference. And we are now beginning to see the, the, the evidence, as you say, Megan. Now it's it's a it's a common discussion where research is saying this is addictive, mm-hmm. but but we haven't quite gotten the information to the when I go tell that to students and parents, they act surprised. I, I'm telling you, I will talk to a room full of college educated parents and I tell them marijuana's addictive and they're like, What? <laughs> I had are you sure? They're checking on their phones. Let let me let me check this out. But but you know, the the concept of 
drinking age, uh, marijuana. Again, I don't know if they're related, but I think that things are changing so fast and so drastically. At some point, we're going to have to try to unravel what is happening here. Well, and I and I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to that either. You know, that that's the nature of the tricky thing about correlations is like they mm. might be related, mm-hmm. but they might not be. But I, it makes me start thinking about, you know, is because we haven't engaged with marijuana use culturally on a big scale that we maybe don't understand kind of we haven't had a big national conversation about what it looks like we've had big national conversations about alcohol use right we have a long history in the united states of those kinds of conversations that led to prohibition that led to all of these different kind of things in between increasing decreasing their drinking age all of that because marijuana like you said alexis has been kind of behind closed doors and like the a certain kind of person used marijuana historically for sure that's right. right um We've not done that with this yet on that kind of scale. And so it doesn't surprise me at all that parents don't know, because I certainly didn't know until mm-hmm. until very, very recently that it was addictive. And I, I wonder, and I don't, again, we'd have to look at this more closely, but I wonder if it's connected, this kind of, we don't know, is connected to the increase in use for our young people because... Well, we don't know, and it's natural. It's a plant, and we think plants are good, right? We are always after everybody, like, eat your greens and more vegetables and blah, 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 right? So it can't be bad for you. Um, and then we also see, again, that parallel increase that we talked about before on this, on, on the um, mental health issues of our young people and they're looking for solutions because we're not really until very recently we haven't been talking about that either right and so we've kind of left our young people in a, in limbo so to speak so we right. haven't had this big national conversation about marijuana use and its implications and we haven't also had that same parallel conversation about mental health use and so our young people are in the midst of i'm feeling all these things and I don't have a solution and I'm not in a place where I can have that kind of conversation about either of those topics with my family or my parents or whomever. I don't feel like I can. Maybe this is a solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's and readily available. And it's easy it changes to get. how they feel. They're exactly. anxious. They're depressed. And so they're looking for some remedy and it's right there. It's affordable. It's available. It's accessible. And so here they go. So we're seeing a dramatic increase. But in that dramatic increase, and some studies show that some 20% of students, of teens these days, uh, are using marijuana. Studies also show these days that three out of 10 of those students, I mean, not a small number, three out of 10 of those students are, are likely suffering from marijuana use disorder. So that's a very substantial number, which, which tells the tale of why when I'm in schools and I start speaking of this, they first go start rolling their eyes. But then when I dig in and say, I just need you to hear me, you, I'm not telling you don't do this. You're in charge of you. Go do whatever you want to do. I just want you to have the information. And what you need to understand is you are putting something in your body on a daily basis that is much stronger than what you have been told culturally is happening. And it may not be as easy to walk away from as you think, you know. I think, David, you can speak to this better because you've talked about a little bit that when you talk to people and they think marijuana is just not this strong drug and not this strong thing, and there's no way I should have to go to rehab for marijuana. But that's not always the case. But that's kind of what people have started to believe in a way. Well, they do. But but what's happened is we'll we'll use an alcohol analogy. Um, You know, if 
if in 1995 everybody was drinking light beers, they have now moved, teenagers have now moved to the effective pure grain alcohol, right, (laughs) which which we were all afraid of. I mean, that's the analogy, and that's not mistaken. So, you know, for the young mind, the issue is what I tell young people is your choice of what you want to do. But what I want for you is I want you to have your joy. And what we're seeing increasingly is young people, because for all the reasons you said, Megan, that they, they are falling in that trap, and then often they're down a road of, it hasn't solved anxiety. Mm-hmm. For many, it's probably caused more. It 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 has created for them a because even in a legal state, they're not old enough to buy it. So it has created with them a relationship with with what I can only call a drug dealer because they're illegal. They're being sold, and it is something that is altering their mind. Probably you know impeding their maturation uh, of the brain and emotionally. And just really interrupting their life more than you know, yet they can show up at family dinners and they can show up at school and nobody really knows for Mm -hmm. sure. Like, for example, if this were done by alcohol, you know. Right. And I think that the the conversation that we're having here reminded me of something or reminds me of something really important to think about, you know, as it relates to what we know or don't know in the research literature right now is that it's worth pointing out the research literature often lags substantially behind the reality of what people are facing in the world. And and I think it's important to call that out, right? And one of the things that I love about the work we do with the, with the Mayo Lab is that through your work, David, and the conversations you're having with our external communities and the conversations you have with students in high schools, we get a front row seat to what these young people are facing right now now and and how do we start thinking about communicating not only with them but with their families and with our larger communities in a way to say good bad or otherwise here's what we know right now and how do we get you that information in a way that you can consume it and and push the pause button for just a second to say okay is this a good idea for me and is this going to give me the thing i ultimately want with my life or not and then make the decision accordingly. But we're we are falling down in that regard at the, at the research level, right? We're not engaging in those discussions. We're not listening carefully or even having conversations with people kind of in the external world in the same way that we should be, I think. And so we're inflicting a real-life natural experiment on, on people but not really mm-hmm. thinking carefully about what the implications and consequences of that are going to be for them. And it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Cause well, it does. Because when you think about it, uh, say, let's say 9% of U.S. adults are chronically using marijuana, 20% of teens, for example. Those 20% of teens, that's risen. That's a new number. And uh, they they are undeniably having impact uh-huh. on their lives. And then that 20% of teens, as they become adults, it does move us into a different state as a, as a, as a state of well-being as a country, because it, it, it leaves us in a situation of perpetual medication for a large number, self-medication for a large number of people. And, and that I think is, is a larger question also where it's not what I, tell students like when I walk in a student told me once to a school he's like I was afraid you were going to come in here and tell us don't do this but I was glad you didn't and I was like I I don't think I will ever say don't do this but what I do 
think we need to increasingly help them understand. And parents, I had a parent call me last last evening, for example, and she said, you know, my child is really struggling and he's drowning in marijuana misuse. And at first I thought, well, he's a teen. I don't know what I can do about it, but it's gotten so severe that we've got to reach out and get some help and do something about it. And you know what? What the message for them? I think for parents, she's saying, "What? What could I've done? What can I do?" And I think for for starters, it's not about spending so much time trying to scare them about it or tell them. But I think it's just having honest conversations, maybe beginning in middle school. Of look, this is out there. Mm-hmm. It's a part of culture. You will undoubtedly face it. Um, here, here is what it. You know, here's what it does to the mind. Here's why I hope you will delay use. So if if the answer to parents that I always say is if you can try every tactic reasonably to work with them to delay, 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 because the longer they can just avoid that use and let their brain mature, the, the better odds that it will not impact them later. That's why the work I think we can do working with schools is so vital because if we can just convey that education, I mean, Mm -hmm. young people are smart, Mm -hmm. but they just need to know the facts. Then they can make their own decisions. And I think kind of in combination with that, too, is this idea. And we talk a lot about this, you know, in our in our not on airtime, but the stigma of this. Right. We think that Mm -hmm. still culturally and this is so not true. It's a certain kind of person becomes an addict. Yeah, like, right. you know, like you have this certain vision of like, well, that could, you know, somebody potentially on a street corner or looking disheveled or doing, you know, right. you guys can conjure all of this in your minds. So certainly it wouldn't be my kid, right? Couldn't possibly. We have all of the things and we have a good life and I do good things. and But that's not how any of this works, right? That's the that's the sinister part of, of substance misuse is that it's not somebody else. It could absolutely be you and people in your family and, you know, your extended friend network and all of those different kinds of things. And so for parents to start thinking through and making the recognition that, yeah, it could be my kid. And then having that conversation with them, like you said, David, about what this does and what this looks like and how to avoid it, you know, and not feel peer pressure to start using it and doing all of these different kinds of things. It starts with us to have that frank conversation from a place of not trying to scare the pants off them to not do it, right? But that's really hard, really hard. You make a great point about the stigma because I'll be honest. I get this from parents more times than I'm comfortable with. They, the truth is, you know, some it, it's easy for some people to look at different neighborhoods, lower economic strata, and think, well, that's their problem. You know, they're the ones who are just sitting around smoking weed all the time. And I, I actually see what I'll call some suburban judgment mm-hmm. of when I have a parent, and it happens often, whose child is suffering from marijuana use disorder, they would rather they just don't want to admit that and face that and they will come up with any reason for their child to go get treatment except for marijuana use disorder because they think that is beneath them i have to tell you so so what we need i think is we need we really need to take the stigma out of marijuana in general Mm -hmm. so that therefore we can begin to have an honest conversation about the pros and cons. Okay, sure. There's some medical benefits over here and here's what it does to a young developing mind. So the stigma is a big issue. And I, and I encounter that more 
than I like. And, and I try to push back against it. I say, look, this can impact everybody and does. Your, your family is no different. Your student or teen is no different. But that doesn't make them feel better. They'll go, oh, okay, I know, but like, let's not label it that. You know, I, I'll have one change the language and go, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll go for nicotine addiction, or maybe we'll say they've been drinking too much. I'm like, yeah, well, they're barely drinking at all. I mean, I think that it's important for them to deal with and face where they have some chronic misuse and. Uh, the stigma is so critical. So perhaps, you know, that's the one upside as we move toward a larger national conversation. Um, but it's it's just not black and white. In, in the pushing for le- legality, it's not as simple as this is fine. It's, it's that maybe the, there's good arguments for it to be legal. It's just not so black and white because the data is clear. It's not just fine. The same as you know, too much sugar or too much refined flour or too much um, alcohol or tobacco or anything else. And and we can't be afraid to have that conversation with parents, with students, to begin to delve into how is this impacting me? And if I use it daily, what is it going to do to me? That's right. And I think that, you know, in addition to what you're saying there is this, and we, this is like a larger idea that we come back to you know, in our conversations in the the office and as part of this um, series in the podcast is that it's not black and white and that sucks, Mm -hmm. right? Be a lot easier. How much easier would it be if it was just like right or wrong? And, but it's not. And so how do we, and one of the things I really hope we can do with the Mayo Lab and do with our larger work at the Institute is think through how do we get people comfortable with the fact that it's not black and white? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like, right? And how do we have those discussions with our our young people and our families and our larger communities? I, I mean, I was right there with you, David, as you started talking about the fact that maybe the side benefit of legalization conversation is that right. the stigma attached mm-hmm. to it goes away, mm-hmm. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's a benefit. That is certainly a benefit, for sure. Um, but it will come hand in hand with possibly an increase, mm-hmm. a substantial increase mm-hmm. in the negative consequences of using mm-hmm. it. Um, but if it gets us more people into treatment, then all the better who right. need it. Right? right. But how do we get comfortable with this idea that nothing is one or the other? It's right. always something in between. And that what that something in between is varies day to day, week to week, person to person, mm-hmm. time to time. Exactly. Right. And but we as human beings don't want to have those feelings all the time. Mm-hmm. And so how do we work at getting comfortable with that? I don't have the answer to that. It's something mm-hmm. I certainly struggle with, you know, every day of my life, but I think that's worthy conversation for, for us to delve more deeply into. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the only answer I have is that we, we know education works and young people just need the information. Like what we, we, we just have done a very good job at teaching them how to read and write in math. And I think a lot of people would argue we need to do better. We need to do better. But by and large, our, our country has expanded and flourished for many decades due to education. But yet I don't go in any school in the country really that does, tackles this. Frankly, Frankly, even in this movement, as we talk about the stigma, schools are really scared of that conversation <laughs> because it, 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 even as it becomes more mainstream, like just as I came on the beginning of this episode and said, I'll be honest, I used to avoid this conversation <laughs> because I didn't want people saying, oh, well, clearly you're anti-marijuana legal, this, that, and there is some of that that I've gotten. But I say, but you're wrong. I might be the opposite one 
once I have all the information, but all I'm about is about young people having the information. And it comes back to social media. It comes back to counterfeit pills. It comes back to how do they manage their emotions. That has to become a part of curriculum in some way or another if we're really to move forward in this country as a healthy generation. I think what's so great about this podcast is our goal is to start a different conversation. And that's exactly what we need to do in this space. And it's with the students for sure. It's also with families like we were talking about earlier of vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so when parents are able to kind of take that out of their mind stigma and open up a space for their students to have these conversations, the students I feel will be have feel more of a safe space like Mm -hmm. Megan was saying earlier like I can't I'm having these mental health issues and I don't want to talk about marijuana with my parents like so there's just in this like no man's land of just creating and fostering a safe space for families to have these conversations through educating both the parents and the students Mm -hmm. to do that and just I think also from observation the students if they are struggling, feel they're already ashamed. Right. But they know their parents are also ashamed of them or for them. It's almost like a double up that it makes it that much harder for them to speak out and speak up when they feel that. There's no doubt about it. And that's why, indeed, we are starting a new conversation, a different conversation. We appreciate you joining us on the Mayo Lab podcast. I'm David McGee for Alexis Lee and Dr. Megan Rosenthal. Come back and see us next time and tell others about it. The Mayo Lab Podcast is produced by Dr. Natasha Jeter, Dr. Megan Rosenthal, David McGee, Alexis Lee, and Slade Lewis. This podcast was recorded at Broadcast Studio in Oxford, Mississippi. The show was mixed and mastered by Clay Jones, and our original music was composed by Slade Lewis. The Mayo Lab Podcast is brought to you by the William McGee Institute for Student Wellbeing. For more information on the Mayo Lab, head over to themayolab.com and follow us on social media at The Mayo Lab. If you enjoyed listening to The Mayo Lab podcast with David McGee, we need your help. Tell others about it. And we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This podcast represents the opinions of David McGee and guests of the show. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for the medical advice of a licensed counselor or physician. The listener should consult with their mental health professional in any matters relating to his or her health or the health of a child.